That looks about right. Looks about right. I, I, I know the look, right? I mean, I, I'm 46 years old, and I remember the look and getting the look, and some of your moms are good at it still. Uh, I, sometimes I get it, I go a couple minutes over on the message, and I'll start to get looks around the audience, and moms, yours are much more scary than anyone else's. Well, uh, happy Mother's Day. I hope you get to enjoy this day. I realize for, uh, for you, this can be an incredibly special day where you're honored, and I realize for some moms, this can be a tough day. To whether you've lost uh, your own mom or, or, or maybe you just prayed and longed to be a mom as well. But we just want you to know today, I believe it's a day that we honor moms. It's a day that we really can connect with, with God as well and, and appreciate God's gift and God's design uh, in all of this. And so I hope we'll do that uh, today. Um, and if you are uh, a kid and you have not done anything for your mom yet, all right, you can scramble out of here quickly after service and get something done uh, for her would be, would be probably be really good. So clean the bathroom was a suggestion there. So, all right, my kids, did you hear that? Clean the bathroom. So, so thanks mom for all you do. Hey, mom's a question for you. Uh, do you ever get distracted from what like you want to get done or you feel like you need to get done like in your house or in your life? You know, do you, do you ever get distracted, moms? Is that like part of your world at all? Oh, no? Yeah. yeah? Okay. Yeah. Like every day, right? Like 24-7, that's your world. Well, today, that's like what we're talking about is overcoming distractions. And we're walking through this series called Overcome. Now, Moms, I need to caution you that the first thing that popped in your mind is not overcoming distractions. Great, you're going to take my kids. So that's not what we're talking about today. I'm, I'm not doing that for you. Uh, we're talking about distractions in our Christian life. Like in our faith journey, when we're drawing close to Christ or we're trying to put into practice the things of Christ or Christian living that we've been talking about in kingdom values of serving other people and loving people and living out our faith this way, what are the things that distract us, like keep us from actually doing this? Like if you're here today and you're like, man, I signed up for the gym at the first part of the year, you know, January, you got your gym membership and everything. You're probably still paying for it, right? Um, but you would say, I've just had so many distractions in my life that have kept me from getting there. You probably would identify a few distractions, right? Or if you said, like, yeah, I started this diet, you'd probably identify some, uh, some distractions, right? Like pizza was probably one, you know? That's for me. Now, what are the distractions like in your faith journey that keep you from really living out this kingdom living that we've been talking about now in this entire year? It's been our focus. So we're going to just jump into this because Paul actually shares this this passage in Philippians that we've been walking through, this book, this letter he writes to the church at Philippi. He's writing it to believers. He's encouraging these believers. And he writes this section where he's very clever in encouraging them and then coming alongside and challenging them as well. And I think that that's important and helpful for all of us. So we're going to look at this and then we're going to ask the question, what distracts us from doing this? And then we'll talk through that just a little bit. So if you have your sermon notes this morning, uh, just pull those out now and we'll walk through them. And if you got in here and you didn't get any and you'd like to track through those and, and have those, then just slip up your hand and, and Pastor Anson will uh, bring those to you. So Philippians chapter 2, this is where we'll start. Verse 12, 
Now, remember, Paul is writing. Paul is a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. He had not always been, right? Last night, I got to hear this awesome testimony of this guy who became a Christian at about 37 years old and the story of how God drew him near. So Paul has not always been a follower of Jesus, but now he is, and he is passionately following Jesus And so he writes letters of encouragement and challenge to different Christians and churches. And here's what he says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. That's kind of an encouragement. Like, hey, guys, you have been obeying the ways of Jesus when I'm there. We would expect that, right, parents? When our kids are, when we're there, our kids obey, right? But how much more in my absence? Like when I'm not even there, You're obeying the ways of Christ, right? So that's what he's saying. It's encouraging. Then he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We'll talk about that in a second. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Some of you just need to hear that. That's all you need to hear this morning, right? You're getting blessed already just hearing that passage. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on that day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith... I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Hey, one overarching thing I want to make sure I bring to your attention because we've been talking about it, and then we'll jump in to what he is encouraging or challenging these people. Can you see how Paul is so other-focused here? Like as he's talking about it, Paul is saying, look, Jesus came into my life. I became a follower of Jesus, and now my purpose is to go out and encourage people on how to live out the ways of Christ as well. That's how he's focused here. That's why he writes this. So what is Paul asking the people to do? What's he encouraging or challenging them? A couple things we see here. First thing he says is, pursue the work. Continue to work is what he's saying here. There in verse 12 he says, you've always obeyed, not only when I'm there, but even when I'm not there. Continue to work out your salvation. Then that phrase, fear and trembling. Continue to work out yourself. Now, this is a strange passage. Like, some people would read this passage many times, and this is, like, mysterious. Like, what is the meaning of that, right? Why do we have to work out our salvation? I thought we were saved by faith. And with fear and trembling, like, I got to be petrified, you know, and be shaking all the time. What is Paul getting at here? You see, if you only view salvation as I said a prayer and I'm going to heaven one day, then this doesn't make any sense at all. Like if you would look at this and say, look, I was at camp one year, you know, I came forward one year, I said what they called the sinner's prayer, Lord, forgive me of my sins, come into my life, be the Lord of my life, and now I get to go to heaven one day. And that's it. Like that's all you view salvation. It doesn't make any sense. Why would Paul be saying to continue to work out your salvation? What's this fear and trembling part? But Paul understands something that Jesus taught. We have passages from Jesus, we have passages from Paul that talk about the eternal reward and going to be with heaven. So that's there. But Paul understands what Jesus was teaching. 
He was saying, look, it's not about say a one-time prayer and then like, you know, just finish out your days, you'll get there. Paul said, no, kingdom living is so valuable. This life in Christ, this life in Christ doesn't just come because I say some words. This life in Christ comes because I now live out who Jesus taught me to be. Like, I actually live out things I'm learning from Jesus, like we talked about on the Sermon on the Mount and other teachings of Jesus. Paul understands this. So whereas we don't become Christians because of our works, Paul talks about that. It's our faith in Christ. But our faith in Jesus, it actually leads us to live out totally different life. In fact, Jesus used the term life, and Paul picks up on that, and he says life over and over and over, meaning this is what it's like when we live out, when we live out life in Christ. And that's what he's talking about here. So we continue to work on that. We continue to work out that because that is part of salvation. The, the growing and learning and putting into play, it brings this life in Christ. Fear and trembling. Now, that's a weird phrase to use there. Now, if we think of fear in terms of what we might in our contemporary American culture think of fear, right? We might go to a, a, a horror movie because what? We want to be scared. We want to jump out of our seats a little bit. Like we want to have the goosebumps, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we we kind of, some people like that, right? That's really not what fear is getting at here. Like when fear is used here, it is much more of this awe and reverence and respect now, I realize in our culture, like those type of things, like that form of manners or awe and respect and, and that type of thing, you know, it's waned a little bit. So we have a harder time wrapping our head around what Paul means. But look at what he says in the next verse. In verse 13, he says, fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Like Paul is stating something that is so foreign to these new Christians, God at work in you. Like up till now, they would have had this thought of God works and he, I'm, I'm around it, but God working in me, like in and through me, that's something we say all the time in the church world, right? And we want God to work in and through you. That would have been a foreign concept. And Paul is actually saying, look, the God of the universe this, this, this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God will actually work in you to carry out what he's called us to do. And he said in that, there's a tremendous bit of, as he calls it, fear, a deep respect and awe of the presence of God working in your life. It's powerful. So that's why he writes it this way. So to continue to pursue the work and continue this out. Then, he's, then he goes on and he says some practical stuff, and we'll call it practice the walk. So that there's actually a walk that he calls a believer to do, and he's saying we need to practice it as well. The first thing he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Pretty good practical step. What is Paul saying there? Listen, you can have all the belief system you want. Right? You can be sitting here today and you can say, look, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. Or, you know, like, I believe in, Je I believe in heaven and God and, and the church and all this kind of stuff. But Paul throws out a practical, what about just arguing and grumbling? And we go, oh, okay, <laughs> that's in there too, huh? 
what is Paul saying is it actually has to flush itself out in our real life. Or guess what? We don't experience the life that Jesus says we get to experience. Do we have salvation in the sense of heaven one day? Yeah, I don't think that's being stripped away from you. We don't read that in scripture. But there is a life in Christ that you can live right here, right now, that comes when you would put the kingdom values into play. Paul understands this. Like, what is the thing Jesus told us to do? That's what Paul's getting at. Like, do you know? If I were to say, hey, tell me the things that Jesus told us to do. Maybe you rattle off a list. Or maybe you're like, I'm not quite sure, but you research and you find. You read the Gospels and you find it. And then you come back with this list. Jesus told us to do these things and be about these things. And you know what Paul's simple response would be? Do them. Now go do them. Go live those out. That's what he's talking about. Practice the walk here. But then he says this. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault. Now that's a pretty, that's a pretty out there statement Paul's making here. He said, you're going to be blameless. In the Old Testament, blameless meant uh, even translated sinless. Blameless and pure children of God, what? Without fault. Now, there's often this theological debate. Like you can get on these Christian college campuses and somewhere somebody is debating whether a Christian can become perfect in this life. In the sense that sinless, will you reach that point? I don't know what the answer is to that. Uh, I've never seen these debates wrapped up with a tidy bow that had a clear answer with a winner and loser in those debates. Um, I can say I have not seen it lived out quite on that level. But I'm not sure that's what Paul's talking about here. What Paul is saying here is live out what Jesus called us to live out so that you'll be blameless and faultless before God. If Jesus said, as he says many times, that we're to go out and love and serve other people, Jesus talks about going out and and caring for the poor, the widows, the orphans. If we're to go out and do those type of things, that's such a value to God that Paul's actually saying he looks on us and says, "That's, that's how God looks on us, faultless, how we love and how we serve. That is living out this kingdom living. So practice the walk. That's what he's saying here. That's how you go deep in your Christian walk. Ask what Jesus told us to do. What is he about? Then go do it. Listen, if, like, if you come on Sunday morning and you're like, I, I, you know, I just want to be spiritually fed by my pastor. Look, I want to just tell you, you're in trouble. right? Um, not because I don't think I have a, a, a decent understanding of God's word and I can't share with you some things and put it into context. Right? But I can't help you go live out kingdom living throughout your week. Like, we're not going to walk side by side and I'm going to go, ah, don't, not that. Do this instead. It's when we decide as believers to say, I so value what Jesus was about, I'm going out and doing that throughout the week. That's how you get fed spiritually. That's how you grow in your Christian walk. Then you start doing that hand-in-hand with other believers, man, that's powerful community. And when people see that, they don't look and go, oh, there's those Christians. They got a bunch of do's and don'ts. They go, man, there's those Christians. Boy, do they know how to serve and love. That's what Paul is getting at here. Then finally, he says, promote the word. 
Promote the word. So hold firmly to the word of life. Now, uh, I don't know, you might be like me for years in my Christian life. Anytime I heard the word word like that in, well, when I was really young, I thought, you know, I used the slang, you know, word. Um, but when I got more theologically, you know, focused, um, when I heard that, I immediately thought what? The Bible. That's what I would think. Every time it says word, I would, say, I would think it would say, now hold firmly to your Bible. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Now, wait a second. Before you say, Tom, we were not supposed to hold to the Bible? Absolutely, we are. There's other passages that talk about that clearly. But what Paul is saying is hold to the word of life. The word of life. Who's the word of life? What's the word of life? It's Jesus. What he is saying to them is hold tight to the ways of Jesus. Hold tight. You got to remember, like this, in this form, that did not exist when Paul wrote this letter, right? I mean, this was put together in the fourth century, which means at the time, there was just these small letters, these small books about Jesus that were being circulated. Some churches had got them and read them, and they, and they knew all about Jesus. Others hadn't read them yet, and they, they learned about Jesus by people like Paul and Peter when they would go share about Jesus, and so you can see how Paul is saying here, hold on to everything you've learned. Live that out, talking about Jesus. Now, we have this wonderful book we call the Bible. The New Testament now is 27 books, right? They're there. They're put together. They're clear for us. But the message to us is still the same. Hold tight to the word of life. Hold tight to Jesus. What did he do? What is he about? What does he call us to? Go do it. That's how we promote who Jesus is. In fact, I would tell you this this morning. I think even though we're in a world that we often characterize as hostile towards God or Jesus or the church, I would say that is completely inaccurate if we just carried out the things that Jesus called us to be and do then I think it becomes incredibly attractive what Jesus did and what we can do as well in his name. So this is what he calls us to do. This is what he asks us and challenges us and encourages us. So here's a question for us this morning. I mean, we're a, an American church here, right? Let's ask the question. Why don't we do it more? What distracts us? What distracts you? What distracts me from living out like this, from doing this type of thing, from putting into play the things that Jesus called us to do and be, what distracts us from that? Now, if this morning, if you're like, um, you know, like for me, I start a few projects around the house and uh, then I get distracted and they're still sitting there a year or so or more later, you know, um, I could probably go back and tell you how I got distracted from that. And for some of us, me included, one distraction is enough to kind of derail me from getting the whole project done. What distracts us from our faith? I'm not sure we always identify it. Can I just share with you a couple things that I think the American church and you and I, if we're not careful included, can distract us? The first thing, it's in your outline this morning, is individualism. Individualism. Let me just define it for you what I mean by that. Individualism is the lack of commitment to anything that doesn't directly serve our interest. 
So really, when I'm doing something, I'm looking to something, some way, somehow, there's an angle that will actually help me and or serve my interest as well. That's individualism. That's, that's when I'm looking, like, I might serve, I might do, but, but it, it has to flow back to me. You know, I'm the important individual here, and so it flows back. So I might start with something else, but I know there's an end game involved. Like every once in a while, we've been doing this for years now, trunk or treat. We throw a big party for one of the elementary schools. We did it at Jamestown um, Elementary. Every once in a while, somebody will come up and say, um, and, and nicely, everyone's always nice about it. Hey, um, why, do we, uh, why do we do that if no one from the trunk or treat has ever come to church? And my thought would, I think you're missing the point. The point is, we're just called to serve and love. And so we're going to do it in the form of throwing them a big party. And they're going to have this grand event they could never put on themselves. And we're going to have personal face-to-face and and conversational interaction with people. And we're going to get to do all that for them. Now, would I love for some of them to, to connect deeper with you and me and then maybe one day be with us and, and uh, get, you know, find the Lord and get baptized? Absolutely. We're always about that. But the starting point is not we're only doing it if people end up at our church. That's individualization. And that can hurt the church and it can hurt Christianity. And it will distract us from really doing what Jesus called us to do. The best I can tell when I read the gospel is there's a lot of people Jesus spent a lot of time with, healed, did all kinds of stuff that we never hear another word about. Some we do hear about that turned and walked away from Jesus, didn't have anything to do with him. We're just called to serve and love and to do, and the door will swing open when we can share the name of Jesus. Here's a second one that slips in. It's consumerism. You've heard it. I mean, that, that word is used often. Let me define it for you. It's the belief that I can't help others until I help myself. Now, I realize there's extreme situations where people have been hurt, and they're in situations where they need to find their own healing, but that's not really what we're talking about here. This consumerism means that I start with me. I start with my, my interests. And then I let something else open up and flow out, and maybe one day other people will be involved as well. In the contemporary American church, it often looks like this. Uh, we're Christians, right? I'm, I'm not talking about people who are seeking the Lord, but these are Christians, and you're looking for a new church, right? And you pop into a new church, and what do we do first? I like the music. That's my style. I like the preacher. You know, he's super funny, I appreciate you right now. But I like, you know, I like that. That connects with me. That gels. My kids really like the kids program down the hall. They came away and they, I asked them, did you have fun? And they said, it was a lot of fun. And we said, excellent, you know. And then we choose a church based on those things. What is my, what is my style? What was my preference? What did I like? And what connected with me? That's a consumeristic focus. Now, don't think that when we say consumer, like, you know, we're, we're, we're calling it all of the devil. What we're saying here is that if everything to do with our Christianity started that way, with my own personal interests and like and feel, 
it's very difficult to get to the point to live out some of those things Jesus called us to do. Because there's a lot of things that, that Jesus called us to do that, frankly, they don't fit into my knee-jerk like. There's a lot of times Jesus talks about sacrifice, picking up a cross and bearing it. There are things like that. And so I know for myself, when I walk into a church, the first thing I look for and ask is, is there a lot of love going on here, the way people interact, and what am I going to hear about the mission of Jesus? What am I going to hear about that today? Here's a third thing that pops up if we're not careful. It's this. It's just simple materialism. You know what it's about. It's a simple desire to want stuff. Want stuff. Now, a few years back, um, I had uh, uh, told you I like to read some mystery fiction books, and uh, it got in my head that, you know, I think I need to own all the mystery books that I've read, you know, because the, the library was very helpful at the time. We were going quite a bit when the kids were younger. But then I thought, I think I need to own it. So I started, you know, to Amazon. I'd pop into used bookstores and stuff because I needed to own it. Can I tell you some confession? I have never reread a fiction book in my life. You know, one time, that's it. It's not like a movie where we watch it a few times. It's it. One time, that's done. If I know who did it in the mystery book, you know, I know, I know who killed them. I know how they did it. You know, I'm never going to read that book again. I don't know why it got in my head that I needed to have the book on the shelf so I could walk by and go, yeah, I don't know. You know, that's a lot of books, Tom. Good job. I don't know. But that's how we function sometimes with this desire, wherever it's coming from, whatever purpose, to have more. And when we have this desire and it runs rampant, it's very, very difficult to live out the things Jesus called us to do. It's very hard. Now, does that mean you can't have a car? Listen, this was a rough week. You know, I had two cars go down in my life, you know, like, like death down, you know, kind of things, I think, you know. Um, so I had to end up buying a car at the end of the week. I haven't bought a new car, I don't know, what, 15, 16 years, you know. I was, no, not true? Not, oh, well, I guess it's not new. But I have not bought a, like, off-the-lot kind of car. And I didn't even know what I was doing, you know. And uh, talk about fear and trembling, like, that was real fear and trembling, walking the lot, figuring it out there. Um, man, there's nothing wrong with buying a car. There's nothing wrong if you have a house and those type of things. But you know, if materialism runs wild, it's very hard to live out the ways of Jesus. It's very hard for a church to live out the ways of Jesus together, if any of these things. So what do we do about it, briefly? Um, first thing we do, if, if we do more together, I believe we're less individualistic. If you and I do more together of the ways of Jesus, if we serve more together, if we love more together, like if we do more going together up to Lot 2540 together and serve, if we get together and go do something and how we bless somebody, if you find out somebody in your neighborhood, their mower went down, right, and it's dead, and you say, I'm going to pull some of my Christians together, we're buying that guy a new mower. Oh, that, by the way, that's my story as well this past week, so <laughs> if you need to get together, you know, let me know. Um, if we would do more together, we'll be less individualistic focused. The more we become one with Jesus, the less consumer driven we'll be. That means the more you engage with who Jesus is and what the gospels tell us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus, the more you study about Paul, Peter, John, these are all writers in the New Testament. What did they understand about Jesus? And you're like, well, that's what I'm going to do. 
it's very hard to just be consumer-driven because it's not Jesus' focus. The more you become one with Jesus, then finally, the more we do for others, the less materialistic we'll be. Like the more you say, what is somebody else's need? How can I plug into that? You got to understand in the early church, the first century, when they got together and it says they helped anyone who has a need, it means when somebody said, look, our home just got burned down. They didn't say, well, we're going to pray for you. Let's do it right now. I'm sure they did. They prayed. But then they started rallying every resource they had available to help that person. We don't have meals on the table. They rallied everything together they could to feed that person. When you do that, it's really tough to be materialistic. Because when you start to think about what you could go buy for yourself, you're like, man, that, that, could, that could help that family. That might help two families. And your eyes start focusing a different direction. So here's a takeaway this morning. The less I allow distraction to derail my faith, the more God's will and purpose become evident. That's Philippians 2.13. It says, in order to fulfill his good purpose. That if I would allow myself to not be distracted by some of the things we spoke of, but where we take the encouragement and challenge of Paul, guess what the result is? God's purposes are carried out through me. Which means in the end, the flip side, Christians, if God's purposes are not being carried out, guess who's not carrying them out? It's us. So engage with Christ. Who is he? What did he do? And then the simple words I'd share with you this morning that Paul would share, then do them. Go do them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a passage that for me has been challenging and it's been impactful for my own life. And I don't know, maybe, Lord, from a selfish standpoint, I'd say, Lord, I'm just blessed that I read and studied this this week because you challenged me. And I want to be more and more like like what Jesus calls me to be. But I would guess there's others out here that want to join me there. There's others that sit here that say, look, I could be more loving. I could be far more forgiving. I could be more compassionate. I certainly could help others and need more. I could look to ways that I could use my unique gifting and talents to actually be of service to someone. There's so much, Lord, that I could do if, you would, if I would just allow you the, the freedom, as Paul says, to work in me. Would you do that? Could you this morning just commit before God that you would say, this is the route I'd like to go, and then let him just reveal and open up? Father, we'll trust you in this, and we look forward to the testimonies of our lives being transformed, and then the life of others that will be transformed because of what you did in and through us. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, amen. Let me just highlight, um, if I could, a couple things that are going on. And um, like we, we say normally, this is our communication card, and this is just a way you can connect with us. If you're new with us here today, we're glad that you came. Um, I don't know why you came this morning. It could have been that your mom said, get up, you're coming with me. And uh, so good on you, mom, um, this morning. I don't know, but we're so glad that you're here, and, and we'd love to connect more with you and tell you about uh, just how God is leading and directing our church. Um, so here's what I'd like you to do. Um, if you wouldn't mind filling out one of these cards, two options. You can drop in the offering in just a minute when the ushers come through, or you could just bring it by the, the guest table outside and just exchange that. I've got an extra gift.